Welcome to Rogue Grace at this 10 o'clock hour on Monday. Sorry to remind you of all the seven days in Genesis, God said it is good, except on the second day, on Monday. However, it is good. Jesus has risen from the dead. You have breath of life and you're headed to heaven. That's good, right? Right. This is Peter John and I am thrilled to declare, if I can use that word, to announce that I have someone put up a new website for me. That someone, being my mom, <laughs> along with the help, no, the the mastermind, as it were, uh, of the gal who is the programmer of these things, and she put together an incredible website for me. I highly recommend her work. I highly recommend her business. So Katie, and also Chloe as well. Gotta give props to Chloe. These two girls that work here at K8PL are, well, Chloe works here, uh, but Katie works in terms of the blogging and the uh, websites. Man, props. That's all I have to say. So anyways, I have a website due to those wonderful ladies, namely my mom, Katie, and Chloe, and so I am blessed. So you can check it out. It's Peter John Corson, that's my name, at Squarespace. Um, so if you go Peter John Corson and then just type in Squarespace for your Google or whatever it might be, uh, you'll find it. And I put up a post to begin with. And I think we passed out some cards yesterday uh, at the church service. I'm pretty sure we did. Um, though my wife said she never got one. Yeah. But I'll be okay. I'll survive. Uh, so anyways, uh, we'll pass those out again. And uh, it's peterjohncorson.com. That's all it is. I would not be able to do this without my man Scott here. I would be, I don't even know where I would be right now. But he's helping me get my organization. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. The law. Do good, get good. Right? Do bad, get bad. But with grace, you can receive good, though you don't deserve it, because Jesus received all your bad. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that it's no longer if I do good, then I get good, but too often I do bad. So I receive bad, but now you've received the bad, all my bad, that I can receive good, all your good. And Jesus, you are 
good. The law, the first miracle under Moses, the lawgiver, turns water to blood, resulting in death, right? Grace. Jesus turning water into wine, resulting in life and celebration. Thank you, Jesus, that it doesn't go from glory to gory like it does under the law, but glory to greater glory, water into wine, under the law. On the day of Pentecost, when the law was given, you know this, 3,000 people died around Mount Sinai due to their depravity. But under grace, on the day of Pentecost, there wasn't the law, there was the Spirit, and 3,000 were saved around Mount Zion, right? I'm glad I'm no longer under the law. I would be in big judgment trouble. My soul right now is being freed up yet again, remembering the day of Pentecost now is not the law, but the law of spirit and life. The law kills, but the spirit gives life. So this morning, I want to encourage you to move mountains. (laughs) By that, I mean, literally, you move from the mountain to another mountain mountain from Sinai to Zion because those established on Mount Sinai are always being shaken the earthquakes but those on Mount Sinai will be shaken but those on Mount Zion Hebrew says it will never be shaken why because under the law Mount Sinai Your works, those are under the microscope. They're magnified, making you introspective, but now under grace. When the Spirit moved on the day of Pentecost, they spoke of the wonderful works of God. Let me tell you what a relief it is not to have to tell you on the radio all my wonderful works. I'd have to make a lot of stuff up or I'd have to justify a lot of actions or whatever propaganda. What a relief that I get to stay on the air for this hour and talk about the work of God through Jesus Christ. And in case you don't know how great that work is, here's Johnny cash to remind us you can run on for a long time run on for a long time run on for a long time sooner or later gotta cut you down sooner or later gotta cut you down Go tell that long-tongued liar Go and tell that midnight rider 
Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Well, my goodness gracious, let me tell you the news. My head's been wet with the midnight dew. I've been down on bended knee, talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me with a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet. He called my name and my heart stood still. When he said, John, go do my will. Go tell that long-tongued liar. Go and tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. Tell him that God's gonna cut him down. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Well, you may throw your rock. Your hand working in the dark against your fellow man, but as sure as God made black and white, what's done in the dark will be brought to the light. You can run on for a long time, run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Go tell that long tongue liar. Go and tell that midnight rider, tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter, tell him that God's gonna cut you down, tell him that God's gonna cut you down, tell him that God's gonna cut you down. All right, the man in black, <laughs> Johnny Cash. I'm glad that because now I'm in Christ, he was cut down, so I won't be by God, but you need to be in Jesus Christ. I know that you would say amen to that statement, right? You know, in the Old Testament, we read about the land of Canaan, right? But God changes the term from my land, not my lanta, my land to my rest. And Paul the writer of Hebrews, whoever that might have been, and the New Testament, they completely focus in on that fact that the land is now the rest of God, that the promised land is now in the New Testament, the rest of God. So again, the promised land of the New Testament for the Christian is the rest of God. So look at now, keeping that in mind, the food that they were craving, that they had in Egypt when they wanted to go back up under slavery, up under Pharaoh. what they want? What, what were they listing? Garlic, cucumber, right? Leek, whatever that is. But we do know that all three of those things, you have to stoop down to the ground. It was back-breaking work to obtain all this food from the ground in Egypt that they were listing garlic, leek, cucumber. 
then we read, right? You know this. The inventory of the food in the promised land. It wasn't down on the ground. It wasn't garlic, leek, and cucumber. What do we read? It was figs and pomegranates. They were things that were growing on the trees, not on the ground. You don't have to stoop and break your back. I love that comparison. I need that comparison every single day, starting with today. You know why? Maybe like you, in my conscious, it can be plagued with the fever of getting back down and picking things up. Cucumbers and leeks of good works right of or of performance or accomplishment of career not that those things are bad no but if i'm striving to make my justification from those things it breaks my back breaks my will breaks my heart but to think of the fruit of what jesus christ has produced we now call it the land of rest or I just enjoy what's there, what is brought into my life in any particular day, the figs, the pomegranates. That's the promised land that Jesus Christ, our greater than Moses, has secured for you and I. So I don't need to be worried or stressed or fear. In fact, Did you know that the Bible gives us the command, fear not, from cover to cover, 365 times it says, fear not. (laughs) Now, do you think that there's some meaning in that? That there is significance to 365? Uh, I do. It's as Americans, as Westerners, as us, that's the days of our calendar, 365, right? For every day of the year, 365, there is a Bible command, fear not. Over and over, Jesus tells, he tells us, doesn't he? Fear not. It's his favorite phrase in many ways. Fear not. He's just repeating what the Old Testament says over and over. Fear not. Now, there is one thing. This gets me back to what I was saying at the beginning of this segment. There is one thing we are told to fear in the New Testament. I mean, the kind of fear in which you really want to stay away from something. The kind of fear that you want to make sure there's distance. So it's not the fear of the Lord. It's a different kind of fear. So there's one thing that the New Testament says to have that kind of fear. There's one thing we're to be afraid of, to have the fear of in the most negative way. Fear you are not in the rest of the Lord. Fear that you are not restful at peace, in his peace. Be afraid of that. 
Don't be afraid of these other things the Bible says, whether it's health, love, money, kids, things that we are often afraid of. Be afraid of this one thing that you are not in the rest of God. After all, the people of Israel did not enter in that promised land because initially they did not believe that the work was finished, did they? That was why they didn't enter into the rest. They did not believe it is finished. They thought there's work to do. There's enemies to overcome. There's things that we have to accomplish and it's just too much. Wow, that hits home (laughs) so often. Oh man, there's work to do. There's enemies to overcome. There's things I need to accomplish. That's not the rest of God. And I fail to enter into the promised land, which is the rest of God. On any given day, when I keep those things in my mind, even in any given hour, so this hour, enter God's rest. How? Remember, it is finished. In other words, don't think I need to do this and I need to do that. Remember, Jesus did it. And so you are in the center of God's will. Relax. See, don't be afraid of anything but failing to enter into the rest of the Lord. So you look at the children of Israel and you see that that journey they were making, they began to lose that rest even before coming to the border. Remember their Exodus, their first battle after being freed from Egypt, Exodus 18, before the law was even given. And they come into this place called Rephidim, which means resting place. Guess what? In that place of rest comes Amalek. You can be sure that in that place where you're resting, there's going to be an enemy that will send an Amalek, a distraction, a stress, a temptation. You betcha. That word, that name Amalek means worrisome labor. Worried at work, worried at home, worried over bills, worried over finances, worried over career. That's Amalek. And Amalek, the the people of Amalek come before the the people of Israel and say, essentially, what are you going to do? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? They put all of these requirements on them and it ends up in battle. And it was when Moses was seated, lifting up his hands, that they had victory. Whenever Amalek comes up against you, me too. Okay, I'm talking to myself as well. And says, what are you going to do? When are you going to do this? When are you going to do that? When are you going to accomplish the other? Sit before the Lord, lift up your hands like Moses did. Praise his name and say, Lord, 
it's all yours. And you will enter into the rest of God. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies till all my fears have come.
might have a wonderful mom or a wonderful dad or maybe wonderful parents. I hope you do. It makes a big difference. It does. There's no doubt. But whether you do or do not, I am here to remind us that we have a wonderful father. Whether you have one parent, two, or none that are good, you have a good father. You are a child of God. It's good to know that. A couple days ago, my daughter, Sadie, who is an eighth grader at McLaughlin Junior High, please keep her in your prayers. She's at McLaughlin Junior High. I went there. She's doing great. She loves the Lord. I'm going to have to brag. She gets straight A's. Sorry. But she it was her birthday the other day, and she had to go to school on her birthday. So she's sitting there in class, and one of her teachers says, it's somebody's birthday today. Guess whose birthday it is? On her birthday, he said this. He says, guess whose birthday it is? Dr. Seuss. <laughs> she's like, oh, she's thinking to herself, oh, man, Dr. Seuss. So his birthday was being celebrated on hers or what have you. Poor Sadie. She survived. But to think this, that no matter who you are, your identity is not wrapped up in Dr. Seuss or Dr. Oz or Oprah Winfrey or Donald Trump or Billy Graham. Your entire identity, your birthday is in Jesus Christ. Yours is as well as mine equally. That's why once you know this, once you know this, you are at rest in your spirit, in your soul. You walk out of that identity. You don't, once you know this, you don't have to get more power or prominence to convince anyone or prove yourself, get in the, you know, get in the last word because you have this place of peace and love that comes out of your rest. So you help people around you, no matter what, independent of their opinions of you. So it's pure. It's good works. And they're with pure hearts, see? So have a seat. What do I mean by that? You probably know the New Testament, specifically the book of Ephesians says that we are seated in heavenly places. Now look at Ephesians with me for a moment. It says we're seated in heaven with Christ in Christ, right? Not Dr. Seuss, not Oprah Winfrey, not Billy Graham in Christ. You are seated. Then after several chapters, few chapters, three chapters of telling us who we are in Christ, chapter four of Ephesians says, so therefore walk 
worthy, not the other way around. I love the New Testament. Paul's writings, they always go in that order. It doesn't begin, thank the Lord with walk worthy, then be seated. It begins with, you are seated in heavenly places, so therefore walk worthy. And Ephesians has all kinds of great things concerning husbands and wives and spouses and employers. All these exhortations in the Christian life. But it's to me a a travesty of sorts when a preacher just takes those in and of themselves without the rest of the book of Ephesians. You're just making it a new law. Because how well you sit determines how well you walk, how well you rest determines how well you do. So many people say, so many Christians say, most Christians, I think, believe you must walk well, then one day you can finally sit down and rest. The New Testament says, sit down and rest then you will walk worthy. You are finished in Christ. I don't mean you're finished. You're a finished work. So once you are rested, then you walk out of that identity. Don't you love the gospel? I don't know what I would do without it. i
Okay, I'm not sure about that little bubbling effect there, so I'll just hop on in. Yeah, Delirious did a lot of that kind of... <laughs> Back in the 90s? Yeah, weird stuff like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good song up until then. Uh, I want to remind you, I, due to the help of the wonderful ladies, my mom, thank you, mom, thank you, Lord, and also uh, due to Chloe and Katie, who work here at K Apple, or Katie does, and Chloe worked getting my new website up and running. PeterJohnCorson.com. Sorry that it's in my name, but it is. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm going to be writing on it perhaps daily, at least every couple of days at the latest, maybe daily. I have a, 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 a little reminder, uh, a, a anecdote there up on the website to begin with. You can check it out. And there's also my teachings um, as well. There are um, uh, various, my book, various instruments of worship that uh, God has given me, not being a musician. <laughs> the instruments I use are on that website. So if you're at all linked to me, whatever that might mean, or you follow along as I preach the gospel, I want to invite you to that website and uh, hope you're blessed by it as time goes on. Why do you talk about rest so much, Pete? Well, one reason why is because Samson, here's one reason why, was born to a man named Rest. That's the reason why? Well, I said one reason why. He was a child, Samson, of rest. Now, he was a Nazarite, and generally, the laws of the Nazarites was about for three months in the law of Moses. How they had to live, what they had to do, what they ate, they wouldn't cut their hair. Moses was to live under the law of the Nazarite his entire life. Living under the law, while there is absolute beauty in the law and perfection, therefore complete blessing in keeping the law, no single doubt about it. Look at what happened to Samson, who had to live under the law, not for three months, but his life. Now, let me say, it gave him power as he did that. See, Samson, you know his story, right? He didn't look like a bodybuilder, though. So when he carried the gate on his back, the people didn't say, of course. They didn't say, he's a stud. The people said, this is God when he did that. See, only when the Holy Spirit came upon him did Samson do the exploits that he did. And there, it's beautiful because it says the Holy Spirit clothed him, literally, in the Hebrew, attacked him. That's what the Holy Spirit did. Isn't that great language that Judges uses there? The Holy Spirit attacks Samson, so Samson attacks the enemy, the Philistines, and wins. Oh, Holy Spirit, in that sense, go ahead and attack me then so that I can see victory 
over my flesh and the enemy. But as you know, with all of these great exploits, Samson had a problem. You know this. And we assume that his problem was lust, and that was a problem, no doubt. But I would like to suggest to your thinking on this segment, when we talk about Samson, that while lust was definitely a problem, the problem behind that, the root of that, was rejection. The lust is the fruit, but there is always a deeper root I suggest to you. See, Samson had a deeper root issue than just lust, I suggest to you. What might have been, maybe it was, well, his dad, Manoah, who I mentioned before, was a weak man. When Samson, before Samson was born, when his birth was being announced, and the angel appears to to his Samson's dad and mom, what does his dad say? His mom worships, his dad says, we're going to die. <laughs> so he, he wasn't necessarily a, a, a man of great courage, was he? He had to be corrected at that moment. What else might have been an issue for Samson's root problems? Well, he had long hair, didn't he? So in many, maybe in some cases... No one could tell if you're a boy or a girl and kids are so undiplomatic. When I, when I was in kindergarten, I had long hair and I don't even know why, but I did. And I walked into the boys bathroom and kindergarten at Jacksonville elementary. And the kid told me, you can't be in here. You're a girl. So I know exactly what Samson was going through. So maybe that was an issue. I don't know. Maybe his dad was an issue, perhaps, as well. His dad could have said, okay, every year at Grape Harvest, we're going to go hunting. We're going we're gonna to hunt down deer. We're going to be a man. Make him feel special and privileged. An angel appeared to your mother and I and told us who you are. That may not have happened in Samson's youth. I don't know. Probably not. So perhaps I would suggest this made Samson feel as though all this, this quote, favor that was on him, all this strength, he had something he really didn't want. That's why he treats it with such lackluster care, right? He really doesn't even care about it, doesn't really want it. So maybe this lust is what, that he had was the root of that was rejection, wanting to be accepted. And acceptance heals lust. Acceptance, knowing you are accepted, heals lust. Accepted by your wife, yeah, your husband, sure. But even more than that, accepted by your God. So, you know the story of Samson. He's there in the Valley of Sorek, we are told. His house is on the mountain overlooking the valley. And it was there in the valley that the Philistines, they grew grapes. And even to this day, there's still vines there. Beautiful um, grapes are grown there. 
And so he can say so he's got this house overlooking this valley of vineyards, of Philistine vineyards. He's got to be hearing their parties, <laughs> their voices, their perversion all day long. So he gets sucked in, doesn't he? And meets who? Delilah. Her name? Delilah in the Hebrew. Exhausting one. <laughs> I should say so. So what did she do? Uh, getting to my big point every segment on my radio show, no matter where we are in the Bible, what did she do? She robbed Samson of rest. She vexed his soul, we read. And then, because she was robbing him of rest, she puts on this feigned rest. Oh, I'm here for you, sweetie. You're so awesome, honey. And when he's asleep, she wouldn't let him rest until he told her what the source of his strength was in his hair. And she gives him the most expensive haircut in the history of man. <laughs> it cost him everything. Don't let the devil keep you from resting by telling you, you need to do this. You're not that. Why don't you become more like the other? No. Remind your enemy. More importantly, remind your soul. You are in Jesus Christ. your kingdom come and let your will be done and give us today all that we need and forgive our sins as we forgive each other yours is the But deliver us from the evil one And lead us not, Lord, into temptation But deliver us from the 
So let me tell you something that you already know. Jesus trusted the Bible, right? Let me put it in perspective. So if you want to count how many times Jesus is quoted in the Gospels, he's quoted around 1,800 times in the four Gospels. So out of those quotes that Jesus is given in the Gospels, 10% or one out of every 10 words, 10% of his words, one out of every 10 was a direct quote from the Old Testament. So one out of 10 words Jesus spoke in the Gospels is directly from the Old Testament from the scriptures. Pretty powerful, the Bible is. It changes the world. When you share the Bible with your kids, with your spouse, with your friend, even if you just simply speak it, quote it, you are unleashing, you are giving power. It is the word of God. It's not your opinion of it, not your interpretation of it, not even close so much as the very word of God itself. And ultimately, the word became flesh. It's so inspired that it becomes flesh, but it's also so inspired it existed even before it became flesh. Wow. And when Jesus was pinned to the cross, crucified, and he has questions about where is God? Why am I alone? He still quotes the Bible. Out of his mouth comes scripture. Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting from the psalm. He was pinned to the cross. See, what's inside of us will come out of us when we're pinned down. <laughs> what was inside of Jesus was the word of God. Even if you feel like right now you're pinned, speak the word of God, read the word of God, meditate on the word of God, and you will rise again. Thank you for tuning in. Again, new website, peterjohncorson.com. Thank you, ladies, 
for your work on that. I really appreciate it. I hope the people do as well. Read that initial column that I wrote on the blog, as well as opportunities to listen to all of these teachings and radio programs as well on the blog. So you can always download the um, podcast, but you can also just go on the blog as well. Tonight, my younger bro, Benjamin, will be sharing from the Word of God on hope. I guarantee you that will be the subject. So powerful music, wonderful preaching, great subject matter, hope. Come out tonight and join us in the sanctuary for worship, communion, and hope. May the Lord bless you. Should he tarry, I'll talk to you again tomorrow. Bye.